The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. If you had one opportunity to show someone why college football is the greatest sport in the history of the world, you would sit them down and say, hey, come sit right next to me on this couch. I'm going to show you Rivalry Weekend. Welcome in. It is Tuesday, November 21st, 2023. Prediction Tuesday, as we always do on this very show, The Hard Count, the people's college football show, college football and nothing but. We got a ton to jump into. Like I just said, it's Rivalry Weekend. We got the game. Michigan, Ohio State, Ohio State, Michigan, whichever whichever one you want to say first. We got that game coming up this Saturday. Going to give you our pick in that one. We also got a new top 10 to talk about, and not a top 10 when it comes to the AP or the college football playoff rankings. Though the college football playoff rankings will come out tonight. We'll give you our thoughts on those when those eventually do come out. But the nothing but ball poll also comes out right now. Today actually came out on Sunday. We'll give you our full breakdown of that later in this show. But also, we got some more predictions to get to. We don't call it Prediction Tuesday just for fun. We also got to talk about Florida State, Florida, a little sunshine showdown going on. Uh, not one, but two backup quarterbacks sent to get after it in that game. What's that one going to look like? I cannot wait to watch that one. Could be, uh, could be a dramatic finish. So we'll see what happens there. The Iron Bowl, something's always weird going on in that one. I mean, you got Nick Saban just hurtling towards a, another chance at a college football playoff. They got the SEC title here in just a few short weeks. But then also you have Auburn, who is limping out of that game against New Mexico State. Poor Auburn. They don't stand a chance. That's what everyone's telling us. That's what everyone's telling you. Uh, we feel differently about that game. We think Auburn's going to give Alabama a pretty good push. We'll give you our thoughts on that one as to who we think is going to win that game. And then you got Oregon, Oregon State. Maybe the last time ever. This is a storied rivalry on the West Coast. But with Oregon leaving to the Big Ten next season, there is no next date set for these two. So who wins the last one? Oregon, obviously, they're pushing for a college football playoff berth for their own. Oregon State is in the absolute, I mean, just the sweetest spoiler spot you could possibly imagine in rivalry weekend. What's our thought on that one? We'll give it to you here in a minute. Hey, we're so glad to have you here. So, so glad to have you here, man. Y'all been rocking with us for the entirety of this season. Been tuning in every single live show, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Been subscribed to the channel. We're glad to have y'all here. It is a week where we all just kind of circle up and, and one, watch college football, but two, get together and just take a minute to be thankful. Uh, We're extremely thankful for y'all. We're thankful to do this. We're thankful for college football. And we're thankful for what's about to go down this weekend because it will be nothing short of cinematic. So with that being said, we always say this at the end of every single show, but I want to make sure we start off at the top. Uh, We love y'all, man. We appreciate y'all tremendously for being a part of this. So without further ado, man, let's jump into it. The biggest game of the weekend, arguably going to be the biggest game of the college football season. You have a, a game that goes by one title, and that is the game. Capital T, capital G, 12 Eastern, Fox, in the big house, Ann Arbor, Michigan. You got Ohio State at Michigan. It'll be a Michigan three and a half point favorite. This one is extremely personal. Extremely personal for both sides. All of the drama going on off the field with Jim Harbaugh being suspended and accepting that suspension, the Connor Stallion stuff with the sign stealing and Ryan Day and the talk about being born on third base from last year. Like, this has all the drama you could want baked into it. 
And finally, we're going to get to see these teams settle it on the field. Really quickly, make sure you're subscribed because we talk college football and only college football. Going to talk a lot about this game leading up to it. Going to talk a lot about both these teams after the fact. So make sure you're dialed in so you don't miss a minute of what we got going on right here on the On3 YouTube channel on this show, The Hard Count. Also, follow me on Twitter and on Instagram, at Judy Piquel. Get at me. I mean, DM me, tweet me. Let me know who you have winning this game. All right, so we appreciate y'all in advance for that. Michigan, they've had this us-against-the-world mentality really since before the season with the whole thing with Jim Harbaugh having the self-imposed suspension. They're throwing up the fours before a snap, lining up in the Harbaugh formation. Like, they've kind of had this edge, this chip on their shoulder. Uh, this is the chance for them to really, like, put, it, put out the silencer, if you will. Because everything's led up to this game. It's been, well, the Penn State game is nice, and that's, you know, a good opponent, but they're no Ohio State. Well, they've been dominant. That's nice, but it's, it's not the game. Like, we're really going to see what they're made of when it comes to the game. If they beat Ohio State... They can eliminate all the talk by winning their third in a row over the Buckeyes and doing it at the crib and likely setting themselves up for another Big Ten championship and another college football playoff berth. At that point, you can kind of just sit there and say, how do you like me now? You can say that if you're Michigan, you can kind of just sit there, say you had all this to say. There was all this talk about us, what we were, what we weren't, sign stealing, being credited for our success the last couple of years. How do you like us now? That would be what you can say. Now, do they get to say it? Ohio State, uh, they're going to have their own take on this game for sure because as much talk as there's there's been about Michigan, there's been just as much about Ohio State. We had Ryan Day on this show in the offseason, and he told us, man, like, hey, we don't don't have to talk about expectations here. We don't have to talk about the standard here at Ohio State. It is unique to any other place across the country. It is beat your rival, which they are planning to do this upcoming weekend, and go win the Big Ten and go play for a national championship. Go win a national championship. Like, the standard, the bar is enormously high. And Ryan Day and company, the last two years, they have fallen short of that. Now, a lot of teams would give their left arm to achieve what Ohio State has achieved over the last couple of seasons with making the college football playoff and different things of that nature. But they understand, like, that the bar is, again, set at a different place in Columbus, Ohio. So, with all that's been said about Ryan Day being on third base and going 0-2 the last two years, like everything they've done since last year's game has been leading up to this year's game. They've kind of taken a good look in the mirror, reinvented themselves, I think kind of recreated who they believe they are from an identity standpoint. And who they are from an identity standpoint is they, they have embraced the, the villain role. They've embraced that team that's going to play up front in the line of scrimmage. They're that team that's down to win an ugly kind of game and not score 40 points a game if they have to. Now, they'll take 40 in this game if they can get it, but uh, this, is, this is their chance to get it all back and then some for Ohio State. So what's it going to come down to? I mean, I think for starters, the efficacy of Marvin Harrison Jr., y'all, like the over-under on hearing Maserati Marv from Gus Johnson calling this game, the over has to be somewhere around like nine and a half. I'm taking the over on that for the record. Uh, there's, there's no mistaking his impact to this team, to this offense. A third of Kyle McCord's yards passing are to Marvin Harrison Jr. Over half of Kyle McCord's passing touchdowns are to Marvin Harrison Jr. Pretty straightforward. They're going to try to get the ball to 18. And just so we're on the same page, like he has that takeover factor. We were there in Columbus when they played Penn State, and the rosters were were even to a degree. Like, they went back and forth for a while. It was close for the majority of three quarters. And then at some point in time, they were like, you know what? We have an Avenger playing receiver for us. We're going to feed him the football, and he's going to get after it. 
And that was the difference in the game. When, when the hands are even, when the cards that you have are even, I think the cards are fairly even in this game, he can be your takeover guy for you. So is he that for Ohio State in this game? It remains, it remains to be seen. Because for Michigan, I don't think the task is to just totally hold him at bay. I don't think it's a thing where you just take away Marvin Harrison Jr. completely out of the game and we look at the box score and say, wow, he only had 30 yards receiving. Wow, the, the secondary of Michigan with as talented as they are with Will Johnson and Mike Sandra still like, I still think that for Michigan, it's going to be a lot of just not letting 18 beat you. Because I think he's going to get his. He's too talented for him to not have some kind of impact on this game. But does he have the takeover impact on this game? That's really what has to be crucial for Michigan. Because a factor within that now is Kyle McCord playing clean. We had Spencer Holbrook from Letterman Row on this platform yesterday. I guess that video dropped this morning. And he echoed this same sentiment. He's like, Kyle McCord does not need to go for 400 yards passing. He just needs to be efficient, right around 65% completion percentage, and not turn the ball over. So all that's to say, Marvin Harrison Jr., he can get his 100 yards. But if you play well enough on the back end and you turn Kyle McCord over twice, well then, hey, maybe we have a different you know, situation than what we would like if we're an Ohio State fan. So that's a big part of this. The efficacy of Marvin Harrison Jr. obviously will have a major impact on this football game. Now, here's my question. Last couple of years for Michigan, the way that they've dominated this football game has been up front on the offensive line. What is the margin of edge for them on the offensive line? Because they feel like they got seven NFL guys in that offensive line room. Back-to-back Joe Moore award-winning offensive lines. Best in the country the last two years. Is the edge this year as great as it has been in the past? Because if it is, like, that's just the mic drop for them. Like Taylor Swift after having some movie popcorn. Mic drop, right out of the hand. They ran for 200 yards, or more than 200 yards last year, and that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. If Ohio State can close that gap, or heck, let's say neutralize that gap, well, then you put the game on J.J. McCarthy. And I don't think it's a matter of, well, you put the game on J.J. McCarthy, and by that way, you just win the football game if you're Ohio State, but you play more into the kind of style of game you would like it to be. And I think for Ohio State, too, it's about sustaining. And we've seen the last couple of years in this very spot, especially last year, really. Like, we were, we were at that game. And Ohio State, for the first half, I believe they held Michigan to somewhere in the range of, like, 20 to 30 yards rushing. Like, they were holding them down up front. But then in that third quarter, in that fourth quarter, that heavyweight of Michigan, eventually the dam broke. The, the weight became too heavy for Ohio State, and Michigan ended up hitting home runs and won the game that way, and you saw the box score be what it was. So sustaining in that second half, going the distance, is going to be crucial for Ohio State in this spot. And I mean, if they can do it, obviously, again, goes back to J.J. McCarthy. I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm saying for Ohio State, you want to make him prove it, that he can do it. Because that's kind of the, what I think this whole thing comes down to. Who can throw the best counterpunch? And what I mean by that is when we take away your identity, whether we're Michigan or we're Ohio State, we take away what you do best. How do you answer to that? What, what is the counterpunch when we take away your right hook? I think for Michigan, it's pretty straightforward. What we just said a second ago, I think it's J.J. McCarthy. Because the evolution for Ohio State this past offseason has been we got to get better up front, across the board defensively, take away big plays, but especially better up front, stopping those gash run plays that Michigan had last year. And take that away. Now, for Michigan, that same evolution has been going on, but it's been on the offensive side of the ball and saying, okay, can we win in more multiple ways? Can we be a team that's going to stretch the ball downfield? Clearly, that goes back to number nine. That goes back to J.J. McCarthy being able to push the ball downfield 
and deliver them the mail. If he's able to be effective downfield, well, then at that point, I think you're out of luck if you're Ohio State. Because you can sell out to stop the run, but if we can push the ball downfield if we're Michigan and you have to honor that and you have to keep that box a little bit lighter, then it plays into our strength if we're Michigan and we like our offensive line to beat your defensive line. I'm telling you, that's the matchup they feel comfortable in. And J.J. McCarthy adding balance to that is how they would win. Now, for Ohio State, I think their counterpunch is Travion Henderson. And Travion Henderson did not play in this game last year. And the reason why I think he's so critical in this game is I think he's the other level of explosives that Ohio State offense might need in this game. And on top of that, they might need some control in this game, running the football. And Emeka Ibuka obviously has to have an impact on this game as well as he's continued to get more and more healthy, it sounds like, and kind of be the counter to Marvin Harrison Jr. in the past game. But like, I think there may be a point here for Ohio State where they need to take the, take, take the air out of the game and hold the ball with four minutes left. And Trayvon Henderson, not that he's necessarily like your workhorse back that you're just going to you know, run power right, power left over and over again and just be the, the bulldozer for you. But I think what he brings, especially getting out on the edge against Michigan, stretching that defense, making them feel concerned about what they can do in the run game. Heck, checking it down to him, turning four yards into 40 yards. Like that's the kind of explosivity he has. And again, I think Ohio State, they may need that to put some pressure on Michigan. Because if you can score with Marvin Harrison Jr., you can score with Travion Henderson, and Kyle McCord plays clean, and we see Ohio State get out to a 14-0 lead. Well, at that point, Michigan's offense is explosive enough, I think, to recover from that. But just to be clear, that's not a situation we've seen them in before. Also, I don't think that's something they're quite as comfortable doing. They want to play with the lead. They want to force the issue against Ohio State. So Trevor Henderson helping set that pace for Ohio State, I think he is the counterpunch here if you try and take away Marvin Harrison Jr. in that pass game. So we picked a lot of Ohio State games this year. Picked a lot of them. Full transparency, we've been wrong a fair amount about Ohio State, especially after the Penn State game. I, I came in here on Sunday morning. I said, we need to apologize to the good folks in Columbus because, quite frankly, we were wrong. And when we're wrong, we say we're wrong, we talk about it. And for Ohio State now, they've built to a game like this. They have. There's no way around it. They've, they've built to a game like this. I, I cannot tell you, I cannot adequately put into words the sadness that was in the shoe last year when they lost to Michigan. Because last year was supposed to be the year with C.J. Stroud and all that they had done leading up to that game and how potent they were offensively and, and, and getting back what was theirs from when they lost in an Arbor the year before. And now... It's like, okay, we're 0 for 2 the last time. We're not going 0 for 3. That's the feeling in Columbus. Now, I'll also say this. After we gave our apology for the Penn State miss, there was a lot of Ohio State fans that were like, hey, stay on that side. Stay on that side. And again, this is, we love Ohio State. Like, we've been to Ohio State more than anywhere else when it comes to this show going places, and we love it every single time. It is a special place. Now, with that being said, I think there is more ways for Michigan to win this game. I think the physicality of Michigan is going to be able to lean on Ohio State. I don't think it's a blowout like we saw the last couple of seasons. But at the end of the day, I do think Michigan keeps on telling us who they are. I think that letdown last week could end up providing more urgency this week. I like Michigan to win by a field goal. I think it's 27-24 Wolverines. I could see it going either way. So Ohio State fans, this is, I mean, hey, we love y'all, man. We love y'all. We're picking Michigan to win this game. It's nothing personal. 
And if I'm an Ohio State fan, I'm probably glad to see that I picked Michigan because we've been wrong about Ohio State so frequently. So we're picking Michigan to win this game. And I think at that point in time, you turn the volume down on all the talk around Connor Stallions and that's why they were good. And this is that about Harbaugh and like all, all the nonsense that's been said about Michigan the last couple of weeks. You just say, okay, now what? Now what? Is it still about sign stealing? Is it still about, you know, us cheating to win games? I'm not saying Michigan did cheat. I'm saying I think that was overblown the last couple of weeks. And this is the game where all of that sort of just gets thrown by the wayside and we say, okay, actually Michigan is really, really good. And now for Ryan Day, we didn't really touch on this too much, but like if they lose without Jim Harbaugh on the sideline, it's kind of a lose-lose. If there's no Jim Harbaugh on the sideline and they lose this game, there is going to be so much noise around Ryan Day going 0 for 3. And I mean, in the last three years, that is, and, and about what he hasn't been able to do at Ohio State and him not being the right guy. Like, let's not listen to the, all the Ryan Day hot seat talk if they do lose this game. Ryan Day is a phenomenal head coach, is the right guy at Ohio State, very, very clearly. But I'm just saying it's going to get loud if they lose this game. So the lose-lose is if you lose with Sharon Moore on the sideline, what are we doing? We lost without Jim Harbaugh there? If you beat Sharon Moore, it's like, well, yeah, but Jim Harbaugh wasn't on the sideline. So does it really count? So it's, it's a lose-lose in that sense. But I think if Ohio State goes against what we're saying right now and they just blow Michigan out of the water, at that point, it's like, hey, there was no doubt. It didn't matter if Harbaugh was on the sideline or not. So that's our pick for this one. Cannot wait to watch a game of the year, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a scene. It will be college football at its best. Michigan, Ohio State, noon Eastern, Fox, the game at the Big House will not disappoint because it never ever does. Hey, appreciate everybody dialed in right now. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you have liked the video. We appreciate y'all tremendously for that. I just said the game will never disappoint. Uh, I have bad news. I have bad news because. Uh, I sat here and I told y'all I would not let you down. I sat here and told you like, hey, prize picks, we got you. We're not going to leave you hanging. Um, PSA, fade us. Fade us on prize picks because we're ice cold right now. Now, if you want to just kind of link arms, get in the foxhole with us, that's great. I mean, if, if you're a part of that operation, then we salute you and we're glad to have you here. But if, you know, like, I'm just saying, in, in good faith, I would say fade us going forward. This is a bad week. I'll run through it really quick. We had the Moore on half a rushing touchdown, both on Bo Nix and on Donovan Edwards. Of course, neither of those hit. We had the less on Colston Loveland receiving yards. I was like, okay, well, Michigan, they've just run the football pretty much all the time. I don't think you're getting over 33 and a half receiving yards. Uh, he did. He had more there, and he hit uh, at 36 yards receiving. So redeem code JD for a 100% deposit match. Go ahead and, and put in 100 bucks there. They'll match you up to $100 when you sign up. Do it and then fade us, is what I'm trying to tell you. It's not prize picks' fault. Daily fantasy, ton of fun to play. Very easy. Easy withdrawal. I mean, it's it's a blast. I would recommend you getting in on the action. But when it comes to following us, I'll give you my picks again on Thursday, okay? We're going to give you our picks. Actually, we might do that tomorrow. So dial in, redeem code JD for 100% deposit match, up to 100 bucks. Uh, but to y'all that have uh, tailed us last couple of weeks, I'm extremely sorry. I'm extremely sorry. And uh, yeah, fade us going forward. All right, let's keep on rolling here now. We got the Sunshine Showdown, 7 Eastern, ESPN, the Swamp at Night. 
All right, this one has all the juice and then some. I'm not talking about the oranges. Florida State favored by six and a half going to the swamp now. Florida State, this is the toughest strain on their response mechanism that we will see this year. Because Jordan Travis goes down with a gruesome injury. Doesn't matter who you root for, man. Your heart just broke for 13, dude. That, that was awful. That was awful. That was tragic. But as your Florida State now, we don't have time to really get too down in the dumps because we got a football game to play against our rival at their spot. Okay, so when I said the response mechanism, we saw it against Clemson. We saw it against Boston College. We saw it against Duke. Like this team, whenever they get some adversity, they seem to feed off that. This is a whole different kind of adversity. This is a week-to-week adversity. So for them, it's the equivalent of being on a flight and one of those engines going out. Hey, that engine, it's gone. Too bad. We hate that. That breaks everyone's heart. Nobody's happy about that. But we still are in the air. We got to find a way to reach our destination because we can't turn around. We can't make an emergency landing. We got to get to where we're going is where they're at right now. So Florida State handling that situation is going to be is going to be the differentiating factor. Goes without saying. Now for Florida, I want to make sure we say this. There's so much said about Billy Napier and his future at Florida. And I think all that's a bit premature, to be honest with you. When I watch Florida play, I see a team that plays for Billy Napier. I see a team that very much so could have packed it up several weeks ago. Could have packed it up in the fourth quarter against South Carolina. Came back from 10 down. Could have packed it up against Missouri. Zero, zero quit in this team. So, I mean, you say what you want about Florida. I keep seeing a team that's going to play hard for Billy Napier, and I think they'll do that again this week. Uh, A chance to go bowling for the Gators. Sitting at five wins, getting a nice little win here would make it six. Also, if you beat your rival and spoil their chance at going to the college football playoff, because I don't know if this totally ruins it, but it definitely doesn't help it. And you would have to imagine it would be a, a nice, little, uh, nice little feather in the cap for Billy Napier and company as they head into the, uh, the bowl season and then potentially the offseason. There's a song they play in the fourth quarter there. Won't back down. That's where Florida's at right now. I don't think we're going to see them back down in this game. So this will be a lot of fun to watch. Now, here's the obvious. Now, we got, we got two backup quarterbacks, the backup bowl, if you will. You got Tate Rotomaker and you got Max Brown. Max Brown in relief of Graham Mertz. Tate Rotomaker, obviously, in relief of Jordan Travis. Whenever you got a backup quarterback playing for you, I think what you ask of them is twofold. Because it's not just about, hey, we need you to make the throws downfield. That's the obvious. We need you to be able to keep this offense dynamic. We can't just become one-dimensional as an offense. That's the obvious part of this. I think the more critical part of this is don't make that lethal mistake. Don't make that interception that turns into six points. If you make a mistake, have it be, hey, we missed our open read downfield, and instead of getting a touchdown, we had an incompletion or a seven-yard completion or whatever it ends up being. Like, the lethal mistakes for both of these guys could be the difference in the game. Whoever makes the fewest of those, it's going to be critical. Obviously going to be critical, as it would be in any football game, but especially with two inexperienced guys, I think we're going to see that show itself a little bit more in a spot like this. Now, I also want to say this. I think the real question when it comes to these backup quarterbacks, yes, it's important for how they play. I think it's more important, arguably, for how you ask them to play. Like, what does the defense do for either side? Do we need our offense to go out and score 30 if we're Florida or Florida State? Do we need our quarterback to put the ball in the air a fair amount? We're living in third and seven because we can't run the football. A lot of that goes back to defense, obviously, goes back to how you run the football, goes back to game plan. Can we give them a simple menu of plays to allow Tate Rotomaker and Max Brown to just feel comfortable? I don't need to process the entire defense 
Every single snap, I just need to process my one level of the field. Look to my one to two reads. Okay, we'll live that way. That has to be, I think, how you get down for both Mike Norvell and Billy Napier when they're putting their scheme together this week. Big part of this game for Florida now will be involving Eugene Wilson. We've talked about him a ton. I mean, superstar freshman has has been, I mean, a, a spark plug for them offensively. It's fitting that this is Thanksgiving week because I think he is the individual for Florida that sets the table. He sets the table for everybody else to eat. He's their guy they get the ball to going horizontal, whether it's the bubbles, whether it's the jet sweeps, putting pressure on the edge of this Florida State defense. And when you go side to side effectively, you don't really want to live that way too frequently, but when you go side to side, messes with the eyes of a defense, makes going north and south a lot easier because that linebacker's worried about that jet sweep with Eugene Wilson. Hey, do I need to play the perimeter? Well, I'm, I'm favoring that side right now, and oh, wouldn't you know it, plays go back the inside, and we just let up a big play. Eugene Wilson will have a massive impact on this game because if you can minimize him, well, then you take away, I think, the most explosive part of Florida's offense. Take away just an easy, I don't want to say crutch because that feels like too extreme of a term to use for Max Brown, but that would, I mean, that would take away a lot of a support system for him offensively if you can limit that for Florida State. Now, when we look at the rest of this game, I think that there's a chance this game gets very ugly. Like, I think you could watch this game. It could be sloppy. It could be weird. I know there's supposed to be some weather early in the week there in Gainesville. I don't know if it'll be that way on game day, but like it, it could come down to who's able to hunker down and just win an ugly, boring kind of game. Now, it won't be boring for us watching it because it's got massive implications on the college football playoff and on Florida and all that, but like it might come down to who can just hunker down and say, you know what? We're just going to run the football and play good defense. Hey, special teams has been wild today. Hey, our quarterback's been wild today. We're just going to run the football. And when I look at that style of game, I think that Florida State has a better defense. I think they're better stopping the run. I think they may even end up being better in this game running the football with Trey Benson. I also don't think, and this is probably the most critical part, I don't think Florida State, if they get into a rock fight, if this game is, let's say, 13-7 going in the third quarter, I don't think Florida State's heart rate will go up too much. I think they'll be pretty even keel by nature of what they've had to endure to this point this season. I like the maturity of this team. So I think this is the Trey Benson game. If you're Florida State, I like him to get the ball early and often. Obviously, with Tate Rodemaker running the show now, you're going to lean more on your run game. Offensive line, we said it on Sunday. This is the game where y'all need to take over. This has to be the spot now where you take the pressure off your young quarterback, get north and south, live in third and three, and play football that way. It may not be pretty. It may not win a lot of style points, but you check the box. I think Florida State does win this game in the swamp, raucous environment, final score 25-17. I would not touch the spread, just to be real here. Rivalry game, overall, not a great week for the spread, in my humble opinion. But Florida State now, that means you survive and advance. You move on to the ACC championship game undefeated. Very big for Florida State. Find a way to get it done. With a backup quarterback, no less. Also, good for uh, Jordan Travis. Little NIL endeavor there. I believe they got a shirt going on right now uh, where some proceeds go to Tate Rotomaker. Cool deal. Cool deal. Another cool part about NIL. Contrary to what some will tell you, uh, no, it's not ruining college sports. Another conversation for another time. All right, let's keep this good thing rolling now. We're headed into rivalry weekend, the last regular season week of the college football season. 
And uh, we've given you our top 10 week in and week out. And those of y'all that have been around for a minute, you know what the nothing but ball poll is. The nothing but ball poll is not the AP poll. It's not based on analytics. It's not based on anything with the BCS or what coaches poll is. I mean, like we have our own poll in here and that is we watch college football. We give you our thoughts. So with that being said, we'll give you our top 10 here real quick. Starting at number 10. How about the Tigers? Eli Drinkwitz and company at Missouri. They are standing on business. Did so again against Florida. A gritty win. Classic letdown spot after throttling Tennessee. Play a another scrappy Florida team and you find a way to get it done in the final minutes. I mean, Harrison Mevis, dude, that, I mean, that dude is a unit, absolute unit, lining up to kick field goals, taking care of business and uh, hit a game winner to beat Florida. Threw up the, the Gator chomp to you afterwards. Just the disrespect. But hey, like we said on this show, winners do what they want. Missouri for us at number 10. If you have them higher, I'm not disagreeing but I think Louisville at number nine is a team to talk about now. Louisville, think for me, I was impressed by the style of game they played to beat Miami. It was back and forth. It was you take a punch in the mouth and you, and you play four really good quarters of football to find a way to get it done. Second week in a row now, we've seen Louisville do it. I think the, uh, I think the character of this team is a lot stronger than most people would like to, to think about with them. They're going to be a threat now. When they play in, in the ACC title game against Florida State, uh, that's going to be a real good football game. That is, that is no pushover win for Florida State. Even with Jordan Travis, I think Louisville could give them a run for their money. But they're number nine for us this week in the nothing but ball poll. The Brom squad keeping a good thing going in the top ten. We'll see where they are tonight. But at, at number eight, I got Texas. Was really encouraged to see Texas win the way they did against Iowa State. It was ugly in the first half. I think it was like six to three at half. Quinn Ewers finding his mojo, finding his rhythm. That's a tough place to win. To win in Ames, that, I mean, a, a lot of other teams would have walked in there. Old Texas teams would have walked in there and caught an L really quick, but they were, like I said, physical up front. I think they held Iowa State to like 15 yards rushing or something ridiculous like that, and then they pounded the rock even without Jonathan Brooks. Texas, it feels like now, has tread water for long enough to where they've gotten to shore. They got Quinn Ewers back. He's sort of in his rhythm. I mean, if they win the Big 12 with one loss, we'll talk about scenarios tomorrow, but you feel pretty good about where you stand right now if you're Texas. And uh, I have met eight. Yes, I have Bama ahead of them. But if Texas wins out, I think you, you feel like you've done all you can do at that point at least. At number seven, I got Alabama. And the reason why I have Texas at eight and Bama at seven, a lot of people are saying, well, J.D., they, they beat them in Tuscaloosa by double digits. Totally understand. That was week two. The nothing but ball pull leans very heavily on the eye test. I haven't seen that team from week two for Texas show up in a minute now. They've looked good. Don't get it twisted. They've looked good, but I think Alabama has looked better. They are the hottest team in college football right now for my money. The identity they have, Jalen Milrow and, and his decisiveness playing quarterback for them. You got a team full of five stars coached by Nick Saban playing their best ball in November. That's no coincidence. I have them at seven. And their date with Georgia, if Alabama should handle business against Auburn this weekend in the Iron Bowl, that's going to be a blockbuster. That could be a, a pay-per-view event. So Bama at seven for us this week in our nothing but ball poll. Now at number six, you got Oregon. And Oregon could be higher. Like, we're all on the same page here. Oregon could be a lot higher than six. I, I don't have an issue if you put Oregon at five. or Heck, I don't have an issue if, put, if you put Oregon at four based on the eye test. I think they're playing that well. Um, the reality of it is, for us, Washington is also playing really well. And you got a loss to Washington if you're Oregon. So you'll have your chance now. You'll have your title fight if you keep handling business. 
And if Washington keeps, uh, Washington's actually already punched their ticket. So if, if you go and meet Oregon, or excuse me, if we get Oregon, Washington in the Pac-12 title game and Oregon handles business there, then I think you put all the chatter to rest and you reassure everybody that you are who you think you are. Oregon at six, handle business, get your title fight, get a knockout. Simple as that. Now at five, I got Florida State and we said this on our show on Sunday. I say our show, our video on Sunday, because we don't have a live show on Sunday. we got a ton of content for you, so that's another reason to be subscribed. I think Florida State's at five, not because of anything with Jordan Travis, not because of anything Florida State's done wrong, just because of the team that's ahead of them and the effort they've made the last couple of weeks. I have them at four, and we'll talk about Washington in a second. For Florida State, they have, I think, all the reason in the world for confidence. I think Tate Rotomaker's capable, and I think this roster in itself in Tallahassee is built to win out. Like, as much as it hurts to lose Jordan Travis, Florida State should, keyword should, very dangerous word in college football, should win every game they have ahead of them. So I have Florida State at five, and if they go in, and if they do win out and they do make the college, and, excuse me, if they are undefeated on Selection Sunday as an undefeated ACC champ, uh, they're not getting left out. I didn't even know that was a thought or a concern until I woke up and looked at Twitter yesterday. Like, they're not getting left out. So make sure we're all on the same page there. Florida State very much so controls their own destiny. You hate losing Jordan Travis, but you control your own destiny if you're Florida State. And number four, you got Washington. Like, Washington, I, I said it on Sunday as well. Like, we got to put some respect on Washington's name now. Because every single week, we're like, hey, is this the week? We cried wolf every single week. And every single week, Washington wins. So Washington, uh, if they're undefeated in the Pac-12 champion, they will be in the college football playoff. Roma Dunze, I'm convinced he is just, I mean, like a, like a baby with oil all over him and just hard to cover, hard to put covers on. Like he, he is unreal on the outside for them. And Michael Penix Jr., when he's on, like Washington is as good as anybody in the country. So Washington is at number four for us this week. Ohio State's at three. Now the committee, I would imagine, will put Ohio State at two tonight. I don't think that's wrong based on their resume. Based on the eye test, I think that Ohio State is probably the third best team in the country. Now, the beautiful part about it is we get to see this upcoming weekend where they stack up next to Michigan because I have Michigan at two. So I kind of want to talk about Michigan and Ohio State together. Michigan has just been so dominant. It's hard for me to not put them at two. And with the, the nature of last week's game, a lot of people are going to say, well, J.D., they didn't look great against Maryland. There was so much weird baked into that game against Maryland. I'm actually kind of impressed the way that Michigan handled business. They weren't on the money against, you know, against uh, that Maryland defense. They weren't great throwing the football downfield. But to the exact same token, like, isn't that what good football teams do? Weird spot, let down, look ahead, coach fired, coach suspended. Doesn't matter. You still find a way to win the football game. When you don't have it, you have it. I thought that was an impressive thing by Michigan. So Ohio State, they're at three. I like them. I don't love them as much as, as Michigan. I don't think they're quite as complete as Michigan is based on what they have at quarterback. That's kind of the differentiating factor for me. But Ohio State, no way around it. Still the best resume in the country. I just like Michigan a little bit better. Now, number one, we got Georgia. And the thing with Georgia, man, like they're peaking at the right time. They are, I think, very much so lacking weaknesses. In Carson Beck, there's a part of his brain called the amygdala which is supposed to, I, I think, process fear. And it's supposed to like help you, you know, uh, process pressure. I don't think that works for Carson Beck. I think for whatever reason, the amygdala in Carson Beck's brain just doesn't process pressure. He doesn't feel pressure. 
Every single week, the spot gets bigger. Every single week, Georgia seems to play better. So Georgia's at number one. I expect them to continue to play well. Uh, they got Georgia Tech this week. Surprise, surprise, we got Georgia winning that football game. And uh, that game in Atlanta now against Alabama, like I said, that, that will be, uh, I'll be a blockbuster. So keep an eye on the socials to see where we're headed that weekend. But uh, yeah, Georgia's at one. So to recap it for you, Missouri at 10, Louisville at nine, Texas at eight, Bama at seven. I respect and understand the frustration when it comes to the head-to-head. Bama's been playing better as of late. So we got Bama at seven. Washington is at four, but Florida State's at five. You could flip-flop those two. I'd have no issue with it. Florida State, nothing to do with Jordan Travis. They're at five. Washington, they're at four because of how well they've played the last couple of weeks. Some nice resume-boosting wins, most notably what Washington did at Oregon State. So Washington's at four. Ohio State at three. Michigan at two. We'll find out this week where they fall. And Georgia is number one for us in the nothing-but-ball poll going into rivalry weekend. Man, that's... uh... That's going to look a lot different next year. Next year. Next year probably too, but next week rather. When you have Michigan and Ohio State play, who knows where they end up. I mean, we'll see what happens with Oregon against Oregon State. A lot of good games. Louisville plays Kentucky. Like, there, is a, there is a very big chance for some, uh, some sizable shakeup here this time next week. So excited to talk that through when it gets here. Let's keep a good thing rolling right now. Hey, get those questions in as well to the keeper of the queue, Nick Brake. Going to get to those here in just a few minutes. Before we get to that, though, we got to talk a little about the Iron Bowl. You got Alabama going to Auburn. Alabama, a 15 point favorite, 330 Eastern on CBS. Hey, enjoy this now. I say it every single time we talk about a 330 Eastern CBS game. Enjoy the jingle. Not going to get it anytime soon. Not going to get it with the SEC, that is. So enjoy that jingle. At Jordan Hare, this is going to be one where. I think, like I said, with with Rivalry Weekend in general, you kind of just delete logic as a whole from the thought process. But anytime you got Alabama playing Auburn, weird things happen. Weird things happen. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, For Alabama now, college football let the wrong team get hot. And we've said that before, but we're going to say it again. It feels very coincidental. You have a Nick Saban coach football team full of talent, four and five stars, guys, a part of number one ranked, number two ranked classes out of high school, playing their best football when it matters most. Very coincidental, right? Greatest of all time, team full of talent, playing well. Just saying. Uh, The great teams, though, at Alabama, the teams that we've seen go on and hoist some hardware in Tuscaloosa, they have that killer instinct in them. There's that, that, that extra gear they have to where they smell blood in the water, they frenzy, and they handle business. Alabama has some blood in the water right now going to Auburn. Auburn kind of limping right now. We'll talk about them in a second. But like, if you're Alabama, if you want to accomplish what you say you want to accomplish, you throttle through Auburn in this game. Do they do it? We'll see. Because I think for Auburn, they are more dangerous after that New Mexico State loss than they were a week ago after throttling Arkansas. Okay? And that's not to say anything about, you know, the way that this team is built or anything about Alabama and losing focus. But like, the reality of it is being humbled as a football team refocuses you. And this Auburn team, they have no business losing to New Mexico State. Like, Auburn, they are much more talented than I think they showed in that game, than I think, than I know they showed in that game. Uh, Inevitably, they will have a huge bounce back in this spot, if not because of what happened last week, because it's the Iron Bowl. So for Hugh Freeze and company now, this uh, this is the spot now. This is the spot. They've heard all the talk this week. They've heard all the jokes. They've seen college football Twitter have a bunch of memes about them. Like, this is the spot now where they get back what they feel like is theirs. With the spread being what it is, 
every single prediction that has a, a spread of this nature. Got to give you our, uh, our non-negotiables because it's easy to say, well, hey, Alabama, they're going to win the football game. Yeah, they're favored by 15. Nice. The non-negotiables for me, for Auburn to win this game, I need two things. One, I need the Hugh Freeze special. I need the Hugh Freeze special. And you know what I mean when I say the Hugh Freeze special. I mean, I need Hugh Freeze to get in his bag and draw something up with Philip Montgomery to offensively bring something new to the table that we hadn't seen previously, much like we saw against Georgia. The way that he dialed it up against them, he found something he liked and he milked it all the way to the nth degree to keep an Auburn in that football game. I need something new, something fresh. I need the, the Hugh Freeze special in this game for Auburn offensively to be able to match Alabama. Other part of this, in a game like this, I need a stolen possession. Whether it's an onside kick, a little, little fake punt action in there for Auburn. Heck, maybe we, we get a turnover. I need something to where we get another bullet to try and beat Alabama if we're Auburn. That's what I think this requires. Because if you play them straight up, I don't think that favors Auburn. Thing to watch here for me, when, when it comes to Alabama having the football, like, can we just all be real? Jalen Milrow is a super freak. His athleticism, the way that he's been playing, the way the offense is tailored to him right now, he is balling. Auburn defensively is going to be aggressive as heck. And if you're an Auburn fan, you love that because you saw what LSU did where they tried to just kind of keep it in front of them. Just say, hey, we're going to try to put a lid on this defensively and, and just kind of, you know, Jalen Milrow, you do what you want to do underneath, but we're going we're gonna to make sure we rally up and tackle you. That's not a way to win this game. The path to victory for Auburn is to wreak havoc. Now, fortunately for the Auburn faithful, that's what Auburn specializes in. They want to get after the quarterback. They want to bring pressure from different places and try and confuse Jalen Milrow and hit him when he's not looking. The thing with that is Auburn, if they bring pressure, there's the chance that you swing and miss. And Alabama has been phenomenal at just kind of making those small movements out of the way of pressure offensively, whether it's, hey, you brought pressure from the edge, bubble screen, we're right around you. Hey, you brought pressure up the middle, perimeter run. So how they, how they address that pressure for Alabama is going to be the, the big factor. And I, I mentioned Jalen Milrow because there's going to be some plays here. We all understand this when it comes to number four, whenever he has the football. There's going to be some plays. We'll call it third and six. Alabama's driving. They got to pick up this to, to keep the, the drive alive, obviously, and try and put some more points on the board. And Auburn's going to have the right blitz dialed up. And Jalen Milrow is going to drop back, see it at the last second. And in that split second... What happens? Does Auburn get home, force a sack? Heck, maybe they, they get a strip sack, balls on the turf. Auburn picks it up. They run the other way with it. Or maybe they fall on it, Auburn football. Or does Jalen Milrow do what we've seen him do and be special in space, make somebody miss, get around the outside, pick up seven, first down Alabama. Plays like that where Auburn has the right play dialed up, but they get Jalen Milrow in a spot where they got to make that play. That is going to be a, a very, very big impact on this game as it always is whenever Forrest play playing football. So, keep an eye on that. That's going to be crucial. Now, speaking of mobile quarterbacks, Auburn's got a pretty good mobile quarterback in themselves. Big Peyton Thorne run the football day, if you ask me. Like, to me, the thought process, if you're Auburn playing offense against Alabama, is going to be jab, 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 haymaker. Jab, jab, haymaker. The jab for them is Peyton Thorne getting out in the perimeter. And I mentioned Peyton Thorne exclusively, or explicitly rather, because whenever you have the quarterback run game going, you have less hats to, to block, rather. I'll rephrase that. You have 10 guys blocking, as opposed to nine, whenever the running back runs the football. And Peyton Thorne is athletic enough, and when he puts out on the perimeter, 
it, it puts a little more strain on different levels of your defense. Like you probably have to come up and fill if you're a safety. You have to probably get out on the edge. And if you do that enough times, well, when, you, when you're having to, to react and be aggressive to the quarterback run game, what happens is sometimes there's some leakage on the back end. And sometimes some guys downfield might get open. And again, if we're talking about a Hugh Free special here, I would not be surprised if we see some plays where Peyton Thorne's out on the perimeter, it looks like run the whole way, the whole defense triggers, and then there's somebody back there where Peyton Thorne hits some wide open touchdown, Auburn strikes. That's going to be something to watch for. So the effectiveness of being able to jab with Peyton Thorne to create that haymaker, we'll see. We'll see, but that has to be there for Auburn, I think, and I think that's probably uh, the key to watch for them when it comes to this game. Much like that Georgia game, remember, that was kind of the Peyton Thorne show when he came to running the football. Something weird is going to happen in this game. There's no way around it. It's the Iron Bowl. It's at Auburn. And if you don't believe me, let me tell you, Brian Harson almost beat Bryce Young. Bryce Young, one of the best quarterbacks to ever come through Tuscaloosa. Brian Harson has his own reputation in Auburn, Alabama. Something weird is going to happen. Whether it's a certain side looking like they're playing better than we thought they were going to, or whether it's you know Jalen Morrow having some troubles with you know pushing the ball downfield, or maybe they're containing him. Like whatever we expect going into this game, that's great to expect it. But understand, we got to hold those beliefs and those thoughts around this game a little bit loosely. There's something into this game that we just won't be able to quantify, except for saying, "Well, hey, it's the Iron Bowl." It's the Iron Bowl. That's going to kind of be our explanation for some of these things at the end of the game. Now, with that being said. I've said it before, I don't think this is a complacent Alabama football team. I think the fact that they lost in week two might have been the best thing for them for creating that sense of urgency the rest of the way. I don't think they feel like they can just walk in there, have the uh, the script day on that uniform, and then feel like they're good to go. I don't think that's who they are. So I do think it's close for a portion of this game. I think Alabama ends up pulling away, and I think Jalen Milrow makes the difference with his legs. So I think Alabama wins this game. Too much offense, 37-28. to 28. The Tide get it done. And that means Alabama keeps those college football playoff hopes alive. Survive in advance. Another week, you got Georgia in Atlanta the following week. That'll be a good one. That'll be a good one. But again, I think Auburn puts up a tremendous fight. And I think you do actually leave this game if you're an Auburn fan saying, hmm, we're going to be okay. The New Mexico State thing, that sucked, but we're, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. That's going to be one to watch now. A lot of people saying, well, you know, Alabama's going to roll. Look at what they did. You know, look at what Auburn did against New Mexico State. Uh, I, I do not subscribe to that logic, and I would be very, very careful in buying into that train of thought. Now, we got one more game here, here for you to, uh, to break down, and it's Oregon State at Oregon, 830 Eastern on Fox, Autzen Stadium, very crucial here now. This is a Friday game. So don't, don't wait till Saturday and say, okay, well, that, you know, Oregon, Oregon State's not till the next day. No, 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 it's a Friday game. So get the leftovers out, a little bit of apple pie, whatever you got to do to get ready for this game, make sure we're dialed in on a Friday. Also, worth, worth noting, uh, I said savor that, old, that whole uh, SEC on CBS jingle that we were getting. Similar thought here. This is the last one for a minute. This is the last one for the foreseeable future with Oregon State and Oregon. Classic rivalry. This is the one part that you kind of hate about conference realignment. And for Oregon, like they're headed to the, to the Big Ten next year, but I mean, they, they want to win the Pac-12 this year. Pac-12 title hopes are intact. College football playoff hopes are intact. But you got to get past your rival 
who's playing some really good football right now, played, played Washington to a two-point loss last week if you want to get there. And if you're Oregon, this is what you signed up for. This is what you signed up for. If I told you, hey, we're going into the last game of the regular season, you're playing Oregon State, you got one loss, Pac-12 title, still on the table, college football playoff, still on the table. You take it in a heartbeat. You would take it in a heartbeat. I think this is a chance now for them to, I think, cement their case for the college football playoff outside of that Pac-12 title game. Like how they look against the common opponents with Oregon State just playing them, or excuse me, with Oregon State just playing Washington last week. Just keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on how that looks for the committee going forward here. Now for Oregon State, this is just the ultimate spoiler kind of spot for them. Ultimate spoiler. Like the last time they're going to play, potentially, it's, it's in Eugene, so it's at their place. Your conference future, if you're Oregon State, it's uncertain. You know, by the way, Oregon, they, uh, they kind of helped propel all this madness here as they're leaving to the Big Ten next year. Like, if you can knock them out of the college football playoff, hand them their second loss if you're Oregon State, like, how, how sweet would that be? This is potentially the greatest spoiler spot for the Beavs that you could ask for. You got a chance to get it done. So some non-negotiables. Spread is 13 and a half favor in Oregon. For Oregon State, I need some explosives. Whatever that looks like, whether it's play action, whether it's DJ Uwe Ungale making plays with his legs like he did last week against Washington really effectively, need some explosiveness. I don't think this is a game where you can totally just go three yards in a cloud of dust all the way down the field. Not just because Oregon's good on the defensive line, we'll talk about that, but I think by nature of how Oregon's going to require you to score points, need some explosives. Silas Bolden, I think this is a game for him again. We talked about it last week against Washington. I think you need seven to step up for you again this week. Uh, Silas Bolden, of course, kind of the Swiss Army knife. They do a lot with him, getting him out in the perimeter, throwing the ball to him in the slot. Like, he is a weapon for them, and he has to step up big. How long does it take for Bo Nix to get into rhythm? And the matchup to watch is going to dictate this. Oregon State on the perimeter of their defense? They like to mix it up now. Like, Roma Dunze, one of the best in the country, some people would say should win the Blitnikoff Award for the best receiver in the country. Uh, they were pretty physical on the outside with them, and I think that was exactly what they needed to do. But that's crucial now in this game because that's how Oregon likes to get rolling is by attacking the perimeter, whether it's the jet sweeps on the outside, whether it's the outside zone, whether it's the quick game out there to Troy Franklin. Like They're going to try and get your defense stretched out so they can start going north and south. So what I want to say is if they don't get rolling on the perimeter, and they look back to the interior, well, then you play into the strength of your defense if you're Oregon State because they are top 20 in the country in terms of yards allowed rushing per a game, just a little bit over 100. That would keep this game in a wrestling match kind of spot because if they get on the perimeter and they start scoring and it's you know a, a game you got to play in the 30s or in the 40s, that favors Oregon. That's an MMA fight where you're just trading punches, trading kicks. If it's a wrestling match, it's field position. It's a punt off. It's, okay, can you go 80 yards instead of having to go back and forth and match scores? So that would be crucial for Oregon State and obviously have a very big impact on the game. Now, right along with that, what are the situations that you put DJ Uwe Ungalale in? What do you ask of that offense? Because Oregon State, they're a downhill rushing attack. That's who they want to be. I talk about them like they're you know the Stanford of old or the, or the Utah of the last couple of seasons. They want to control the line of scrimmage and they want to play that way. Now, Oregon... Their defensive line is one of the best in the country. They're allowing less than 100 yards rushing. I believe they're number eight in the country, allowing right around 91 yards on the ground a game. They're very good. 
So what it comes down to in my mind is how many third and sevens do you put Oregon State in? Because the more the more third and seven plus you have to play, the greater advantage for Oregon. And we saw that last week against Washington. I would also say right in line with that, the success on the ground for Oregon State, they do a lot on play action. So they have a better chance clearly of hitting those explosive plays and getting the ball to Silas Bolden in the flat and being able to hit the tight end down the seam off of play action. And if they have to play straight up and go third and seven and just say, okay, we got we to gotta go our guys versus your guys. I don't think the skill players for Oregon State favor that matchup. Now, DJU, I think he he's, should put a lot of respect on his name based on what he's done to this point in the year. I think he's a much better quarterback than people wanted to give him credit for based on his Clemson days. He's been spinning it this year. But I don't know that his guys can separate consistently enough in third and seven to beat Oregon in that spot. Now, if they can pound the rock and you live in third and two, advantage Oregon State. Take the air out of the game. Make Bo Nix watch. Kind of the same approach you had last week against Washington is the same approach this week against Oregon. You try and limit the possessions that Oregon's going to get. A lot of that comes with how you run the football against Oregon because the tempo of this game is huge. And the way that I think about this, if both these teams are cars, I think Oregon State is something like a Hummer. Physical, going to try and just kind of off-road with you, control the game, durable, slow and steady. That's kind of who they are. They don't have a ton of like extra gear to them, but they, I mean, they, as a Hummer, they can just roll on you, roll on you, roll on you, and go off-road, and that could be how they roll. It could be how they win the game. For Oregon, I think they're probably a little bit more like a, like a Range Rover of sorts. Like Not necessarily like a Ferrari where they're just going to go a million miles an hour, but they can also kind of go off-road a little bit. They can also go on the highway. Like they, they got a little bit of extra gear to them. So when I look at this game, I think there's more races that Oregon can win with that Range Rover than Oregon State can with their Hummer. Now, if it becomes an, an off-road mountain race of we're going to run the football, like I said, field position, if it becomes that kind of game, I'll take the Hummer. But I think Oregon's going to be able to force it into a game where you have to match them offensively. you got to kind of have a little bit extra gear, a little bit more speed, and I think that game favors Oregon. So, with the multiple ways that I think Oregon can win, I think Oregon wins this game. I think it's close. I think it's 33-24 Ducks, and they're headed to that Pac-12 title game more than likely, headed to the college football playoff if they can beat Washington. But like this is a massive, massive game for all that Oregon wants to accomplish if they can beat their rival. So expect a ton of emotion. Expect a ton of juice from both sides. Uh, expect a little bit of chippiness here from both sides just because it's rivalry weekend, and this is the last time we're going to see these teams for the foreseeable future. It'll be a good one. Dial in, but again, we got the Ducks getting it done. I would not touch the spread. It's a Friday. Make sure you're locked and loaded. All right. So we got two ad reads for you here. We got two ad reads. And as we're doing those, I'm going to ask two things of you. One, subscribe to the channel. Okay, that's the first. Best way to stay in the know. We got shows all week long for you. Tomorrow morning, 11 a.m. Eastern. Thanksgiving Day, 11 a.m. Eastern. We will have a show for you. Promise you. So subscribe so you don't miss it. Second thing, like the video. We appreciate you so much for that. So before we get to that, first, want to tell y'all about the good people at Bird Dogs taking care of us today, bringing you the hard count. And Bird Dogs, as we moved out of summer season with the shorts, that's great. Bird Dogs took care of us all summer long. You say, okay, well, we're going into the winter now, J.D., in the fall, like kind of cozy, crispy season, so we probably got to hang the Bird Dogs up, right? Uh, no, 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 not necessarily. 
Bird Dogs, they have a tremendous fitting pant for you that's going to, one, just look good. And that's crucial. Like, you got to look good, feel good, work good, play good. That's, that's important. It's first off. Second off, extremely comfortable. I said feel good right after look good because that's extremely important. When you're doing the eight to five every single day, you want something you can wear to the office and not feel like you're, you're walking in some cardboard pants. It's not Bird Dogs. Great stretching material. You could wear it to the office and you could go work out in it afterwards if you're really on a time crunch. I wouldn't recommend it because you would look like a crazy person working out in khakis, but you could do it if you want to. So redeem code JD at checkout at birddogs.com and get you a nice little uh, Yeti style cooler. Great here as we finish up with uh, the college football regular season, bowl season now. A lot of crispy tailgates, going to want a hot beverage to put in that thing. So make sure you use uh, code JD at checkout and they will take care of you. So we appreciate Bird Dogs bringing all the hard count. Again, code JD. Get some bird dogs. You won't want to take them off. Promise. So appreciate bird dogs tremendously for that. Uh, one more ad read here, and we'll jump right into it. And this ad read is courtesy of our good friends at HelloFresh. Now, HelloFresh is a farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients, seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip the, the hassle of going to the grocery store. Count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, this is important and affordable, and that's why it is America's number one meal kit. So just like always, HelloFresh's ingredients travel from the farm to your door so you know they're fresh, and everything arrives pre-portioned so you can get right to cooking. Not a thing where you got to worry about the mise en place. You got to put everything in you know, your measuring cups, and you got to you know, ratio it out perfectly. Skip all that. It comes right to your door. Like I said, pre-portioned. Put it together. Cook. You are good to go. Also, it's holiday season. If you're hosting the holiday season, HelloFresh has just what you need to please the crowd without hassle. Photo-worthy charcuterie boards, mouth-watering desserts. Just pick a kind of dish that you want for your holiday seasons. They got you covered. All right, so I promise you HelloFresh will save you the hassle, make it affordable, make it fun. Great way to do it. Like I said, my wife and I, we use HelloFresh. We get home from a long day at work. Last thing we want to do is go to the grocery store. Last thing we want to do is measure out all these spices and measure out the exact ingredients. HelloFresh, bada bing, bada boom, put it together, put it in the pan, put it in the oven. We're good to go. Quality meal. Farm fresh, good to go. So go to HelloFresh.com slash JDFree and use code JDFree for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active, that's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash JDFree with code JDFree. All right, so HelloFresh.com, JDFree. Use code JDFree for, again, for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. America's number one meal kit. We appreciate them so much for bringing y'all the hard count. You don't want to mess around with that during the holidays, man. Just get HelloFresh. Get hello fresh and save yourself some time with the grocery store and with the cooking. All right, let's get right to it now. Bring it on the keeper of the queue. You're thankful for him. We're thankful for him. He's a thankful guy. Nick Brake. Big Nick, how we doing, dog? Like, people say that if you say pineapple right before you're about to sneeze, you won't sneeze. And it, even if you think it, it works. And huh. I was about to sneeze the second I turned my mic on, and I said pineapple to myself, and... I did not sneeze, so that's that's just a little bit of here um, we go, man. That, that's a little bit of a lesson for everyone if you ever want to avoid uh, 
sneezing while you're driving or something, just say the word pineapple and boom, it's gone. You're out here saving lives. I know Jay Floyo in the chat has heard of that before because mm-hmm. um, he knows everything. That's but like your nemesis, man. I like Jay Floyo 11. Brad from Florida. There it is. But he does live in my head rent-free, I will say. Dude, he gets active in the chat. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out, shout out Jay Floyo for, yeah. for uh, bringing the juice every yeah, live absolutely. show. Every uh, live show. First question coming from AAA. JD, it's time to put on your Dear Abby hat because this is uh, about some advice. It says, JD, I need your advice. I just verbally committed to a college for athletics. Congratulations, AAA. And now the coach is leaving for a new job. I can't decide if I should stay or follow him. What would you do? Man, that is tough. That is very tough. I think my my original thought. Now, I don't want to. I don't want to give you any like life altering advice here. But just based on your question, I think the first thing I would do is try and get a good gauge for the new staff, and not just them as you know coaches and the scheme, but also who they are as people. Because what I would say is you're going to be with these individuals for the entirety of your college career, all four years. And I mean, more than likely all four years and how they are as people is going to be much more important than how they are as coaches. Like anybody can drop inside zone. Anybody can draw up four verts and tell you how to run it and be a, you know, a coach and teach you things, but like how they are in the meetings, what's their temperament. Do they teach in a way that's helpful to you? Are they going to actually take an interest in you as a, as a person and a student athlete? So I think assessing the leadership skills of that person. And and if you actually want to spend, heck, let's call a spade a spade, like 12 months out of the year with these people, uh, that's really important. So I would try and get a gauge for the people of who that next staff is going to be. And uh, I don't think think you're wrong if you take a look elsewhere as well. I would try and get a gauge for the other staffs as well and try and understand different situations for, uh, for where they could be headed. So that's my first thought is the people, the people, the people, man. You can teach whatever you want, but if if you don't like being around them, it's gonna be a, gonna be a long four years. So I'd really try and take inventory of that. Good uh, question, though. Congrats on committing, JD uh, OG Gary. What are your thoughts on a fully healthy Utah next season? Hey, they go to the big. Tw- they go to the uh, the Big Twelve too. I think they could win the Big Twelve. They could win the Big Twelve, man. Cam Rising coming back. I'm curious what version of healthy we get. Cam Rising next year. I hope it's 100. percent because it feels like, I mean, there's some teams that are just cockroach teams that just don't die, regardless of what they look like every single year. They're going to be the same team. Iowa's one of those teams. Iowa State's one of those teams. Kansas State's one of those teams. Utah is definitely one of those teams. So they're going to be a tough out, man. Um, I think they're going to be... I wouldn't be surprised if they won the Big 12 next year. I wouldn't be surprised if they were favored to win the Big 12 next year, to be honest. like I think they're, they're going to be that good. And having an experienced quarterback, too, to lead you into that era and having an experienced head coach and Kyle Whittingham, like they have to be one of the most rock solid operations from a knowing who they are standpoint in the country. So I like Utah a lot, man. They're going to be a force. And uh, hey, we'll see. We'll see. But I I think Utah's got to be in that tier one conversation for the Big 12. And OG Gary is definitely in the tier one conversation Mm. in terms of live chat commenters. Without question. As is Minecraft Arenas, who says, what teams go for a quarterback in the portal? And who are those quarterbacks? Oregon, Washington? What do you think, J.D.? I think Oregon... Hmm. So it's tricky because you, you go and get a quarterback from the high school level, like Oregon's got Austin Novosad. Um, Washington, I'm guessing at who they would have behind them. You know, who I'm curious to watch is, is USC. Because with them going to the Big Ten, they have Malachi Nelson on that roster. Will they be in the market for a portal quarterback to kind of maybe elevate that room? 
you know, we'll see. I'm, I'm excited to see what happens in the Pac-12, especially those teams that are no longer going to be in the Pac-12 anymore that we just named, Oregon, Washington, USC. So uh, I think having a quarterback to kind of set the tone for your your spot in the Big Ten is going to be really important. You know, I don't know. I mean, heck, I'm curious to see what, what, what Michigan does. If J.J. McCarthy goes pro, I mean, do they go in the portal and get them someone to help run the show? I'm, I'm curious. I, I think, uh, I mean, you're asking me for my opinion. So I think Oregon will go in the portal or at least look in the portal. But some, so much of it, too, does depend on, like, you know, who's available. So maybe we'll, we'll hold back until we find out who's actually going to be in the portal. But I, I do think all those teams, should the right guy be available, would at least kick the tires on, a, on the portal a little bit. Yep. Uh, strike above. J.D., you got to preview the Palmetto Bowl with Carolina, Clemson. Who wins? Okay. Ooh. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold off on this one because we, we may actually preview this one. We may preview it. Uh, I lean Clemson right now. I lean Clemson right now. We'll leave it at that. We, we might end up previewing this one uh, on a show this week. Okay. Uh, next question. We've got a couple more that we've got time for. Um, this one is from Jeremiza. I hope I said that right. If I didn't, please comment. Can Georgia contain J- Jalen Milrow next week? And if so, J.D., how and what, of, what kind of result does that make in that game? I think they can, and that's really going to be like the factor for Georgia winning that football game. The thing with Georgia is I think their team speed – is so good to where Jalen Milrow is just a freakish athlete, and when he gets out on the perimeter, he just destroys your angle. Like, you might think you're taking a good angle to go and tackle him, and before you know it, you misjudged his speed. He's got that extra gear, and he's past you. I don't think that would happen quite as much with Georgia, personally. Um, And if they can contain him, it'll be a lot on the linebackers and on the safeties, like Javon Buller coming down and filling, Tyke Smith coming down and filling. So they'll ask a lot of those guys. So I'm curious, when they do that, how much explosive plays downfield does Alabama get? Is it a thing where Georgia one-on-one coverage is, is still, I mean, a sure thing? Or is it, well, hey, they went down to cover to try and stop Jalen Milrow and running the football, but then behind them, Isaiah Bond got open, Jermaine Burton got open, or whoever it ends up being. So that's my thought on that. I think they have the potential, though. It'll, it'll be the best defense that Jalen Milrow's seen, and it's going to be, I think, the best quarterback from a athleticism perspective that Georgia has seen. Uh, J.D., we've got time for one more question. Let's do it, man. Um, by the way, I, I probably should have mentioned it, but it is on the top of the tab. Sometimes when it's busy, um, we got to open up that Q&A tab because uh, just too many other comments. So if I didn't get to your question and you put it in there, I'm really sorry. But if I didn't put it, if you, I didn't read it and it was in the live chats because I, I didn't see it. Um, and I'm apologize about that as well. But you're doing JD, your best here. This like yeah. doing your best. There's a lot to a lot of comments and a lot of questions, so I really appreciate it. Uh, but this last one coming from Matthew: If Bama beats Georgia, is it a bigger resume boost for Bama, or is the Texas win against Bama by 10 points a bigger resume boost for Texas? Because, and this is what Matthew says, this mm. is a good point. When's the last time someone's won by two scores at Bama? Was it Johnny Football? I think it might be. JD? Yeah, I would have to get in the history book and figure out where exactly that happened for Alabama losing in Tuscaloosa like that. I think it would be a bigger resume boost for Bama just because whether it's fair or not, the recency bias of the committee seems to be a thing. And so if you see Alabama beat the number one team in the country, the last thing you see before you make your college football playoff rankings for that committee, I think that would probably lean more in favor of Alabama. Now, maybe it's a little bit of a bone you throw to Texas and say, oh, yeah, well, that actually was pretty impressive by them. But 
I think this this last month of November, such that the snapshot has been, would favor Alabama. I guess that would be December if they were to beat them. But the bottom line is, I think it would it would help Bama, and I think you have a hard time leaving them out, to be honest with you. So we'll uh, we'll have a tweet later today on my Twitter page at Judy Pakel or my X page, whatever you want to call it. And I'll ask y'all, hey, what are the playoff scenarios that are most intriguing to you? We'll put it on my Twitter page. So tweet at me, get under there, and we'll do a segment on that tomorrow with a good chance we'll break down one of your uh, scenarios. We've done that on Wednesdays and had a lot of fun doing it. So keep an eye out for that. But I do think that would actually boost Bama more than it would boost Texas. Okay. Good deal. That's it there, brother? That's it. And, man, remember, I won't be here tomorrow, so I will see everybody else on uh, Tuesday. Tremendous. Well, hey, Nick, we appreciate you, man. We're thankful yeah. for you. Let's thankful have a heck of a Thanksgiving. You, I'm, I'm thankful for everybody in the live chat. Mm. That's what I'm thankful for this year. <laughs> That's good stuff, man. See That's then. just good stuff. You guys, uh, uh, t- Trey Yannity is going to take care of you guys tomorrow. Good deal, so man. So we'll see you. Good deal. Hey, that's the man, the myth, the legend. Heavy lifter extraordinaire, Nick Bray, who, like I just said, we're thankful for. I'm sure that y'all are thankful for getting in the queue, in, 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 the, in the queue, in the chat, and all that, and making it happen. Uh, enormous thankful for y'all. I c- cannot say that enough. The fact that we get to do this, we never take for granted. The fact that we get to sit here and talk about college football every single day, even when they're not playing games, and the crazy part, they they pay us for it. We pay rent that way. I mean, 10-year-old JD is throwing a party after hearing something like that. So for y'all making that a reality and providing the demand that this show can then supply, tremendously grateful. It has been a we thing and us thing. And I say we and us, not just us on this side. I mean, y'all, all all of everybody in the chat, everybody watching, everybody subscribing. Like, we just appreciate y'all so much and extremely thankful for y'all being a part of this. So the best is yet to come. We will have shows on Wednesday. So tomorrow morning, 11 a.m. Eastern, we'll be live. Get into some of y'all's thoughts, concerns, questions, playoff scenarios, react to the rankings. We'll have that for you. So make sure you're here. Also Thursday, promise you, we will have a show. The Hard Count will have a show on Thanksgiving. All right? We love y'all. Like I said, we appreciate y'all. We're thankful for y'all. We're going to keep this party rolling. We will see y'all next time.